0: Welcome to Sorry for Apologizing. I'm your host, Missy Modell, activist, strategist, and recovering chronic apologizer. In this podcast, we'll explore all of the ways women have been conditioned by society to play small, whether it's being expected to have children, tolerate chronic pain, or accept gender inequities from orgasms to paychecks. This season, we'll work to challenge the cultural beliefs that brought us here and discuss all of the reasons why we should be asking for forgiveness rather than permission. It is time to stop apologizing. Sorry for apologizing. From the time of her first cycle to menopause, the average American woman will have around 450 periods in her lifetime. We're supposed to feel embarrassed about the thing that happens so regularly that it's called a cycle? I don't think so. You by Kotex wants everyone to treat the most normal thing like it's the most normal thing. So check out their full range of pads, tampons, and liners to find out what works best for your period at Ubicotex.com. The internet is an incredibly strange place. We're in an age where everyone seems to want to be famous, where influencers are the new celebrities, amassing millions, sometimes billions of views, dictating purchasing power, doing collaborations with global brands, and quite literally guiding our culture. But what does this thirst for social validation do? Research has shown that young adults who use social media are three times as likely to suffer from depression. We, especially as women, are constantly bombarded with messaging that we're not enough, We need to do more. We need to compare and often spend more time worrying about how we appear than making time to connect with others in real life. Online misogyny cannot go unmentioned here, with freedom of speech on social media often being used as an excuse for unacceptable behavior. To talk about all of this and more, I'm so thrilled to kick off season two of Sorry for Apologizing with Taylor Lorenz, the queen of internet culture, award-winning Washington Post reporter and author of the book, Extremely Online.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm so, so happy to have you on, especially as I'm battling my own odd relationship with the internet right now.
1: Yeah, it's hard. I, my relationship with the internet is ever
0: evolving. <laughs> I I mean, that's one of the first questions I had for you as a person that is extremely online. How do you actually create boundaries for yourself and balance all the hate also that you get on an I see it and you react with
1: <laughs> such grace? how let's walk through that really quickly. I know I just had right before we logged on, Elon Musk was calling me a stalker ex-girlfriend because I post a lot about Twitter on Instagram threads. And I oh. guess that's made him really angry. Just so crazy. Cause I'm like, you kicked me off Twitter. Um. <laughs> You're the, the guy I'm back on now. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think it's hard to be um a woman on the internet generally and um I'm a tech reporter, which is also sort of like a very male dominated field and you're often covering men like Elon who are sort of like have these big egos and fan armies, but I have really strong boundaries around what I share online. I don't share anything personal about my life really. Like I share opinions, but I don't share any personal details of my life. So
0: hmm.
1: I guess when people you know, are hating on me or something, it, it makes it a little bit easier to separate out. And I'm like, okay, these people are just angry at some like, version of me that they've created in their heads. And I don't know, I don't take it that seriously.
0: <laughs> and is that a choice you made early on that you were going to be kind
1: of career forward, not so personal? About like 2015. I, I, I did the thing that a lot of people do, you know, I used to share everything and like on Instagram and yes. I was posting like the guy that I dated on Instagram and I actually got engaged and then I had to call, I called off my engagement and congratulations! That, yeah, it was the best decision I ever made, but, yeah. but it just, you know, it just like, I just was like, having to tell everyone was so hard (laughs) because I had, of course, put it all over Instagram. And I was just like, you know what? I'm actually not going to share any more details of my life ever again. It's like mentally helped so much because it's just helped me have this like really strong sort of like mental barrier between the internet. And yeah, so the last time I shared personal stuff was 2015.
0: (laughs) And I think it's an interesting point because women on the internet is an entirely different thing than I think men on the internet. And I feel like women almost need to show their personal life to get validation. So I feel like for women that are kind of popping off on TikTok in particular, are literally pulling the curtain back on the most intimate details of their life. Is that a necessity? And why do women feel that they need to do that to gain notoriety?
1: Yeah, I actually write about this a little bit in my book because I talk about the rise of mommy bloggers and this like sort of sharing, messy kind of sharing everything about, their lives. And, and I mean, at the time that was really liberatory because traditional media didn't have realistic sort of stories of motherhood. But now I think it's just, there's so much pressure for women to share every aspect of their lives and commodify themselves. And you're rewarded for that. And also, especially on apps like TikTok, it's just like, that's what sort of the most engaging is like the most crazy, weird, taboo stuff. You know, like if you start talking about that stuff, like people, you know, people want other people to open up. But if you are that person that's opening up, it can be really hard. You can't go back. And a lot of that stuff, anything personal that you put on the internet, you know, will be used against you. And people don't realize that until it's too late.
0: Mm -hmm. And also, obviously, like ethics around moms showing their kids. I'm sure you have a lot to say on that as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we're actually entering this kind of weird time right now where there's this backlash towards moms posting their kids, but there's absolutely no, it's uh, once again, the the anger is solely directed towards mothers. When in fact, mothers are not the primary ones putting children on the internet. Children themselves are the primary ones putting themselves on the internet, usually teenagers and young people, middle schoolers. And so think of course, parents need to have strong boundaries, mothers and fathers, but also these tech companies need to do a much better job policing that kind of content, policing children's content and allowing for better options like blurring faces easily, you know, with children and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Also, let's remember that like schools, sports teams, all of these other I mean, I found preschools with open Instagram pages where they're posting updates about the kids all day, sports teams putting enormous amounts of kids data online, like after school clubs, and just the whole data brokering industry. I mean, I think anybody that purports to care about children's privacy and is only focused on mothers sharing pictures of their kids is disingenuous because children desperately need privacy, and you know it's a much bigger problem. It, and they, we need to hold the tech companies accountable and get privacy, comprehensive privacy legislation in this country. Yeah, not to go on a tangent, but no,
0: it's true. And you and I, before we hopped on, were even chatting about how grateful we feel that we didn't grow up with social media. So I even wonder, like, is the brain changing as a result of these kids using and needing these dopamine hits consistently? And especially women and girls and body image and self-esteem, what do you, like, that's obviously a whole conversation, but even just topically, what is the greatest danger with social media and young girls and even women using it?
1: I know it, it can be such a toxic place for young women. Um especially with like the body image stuff. Um, I mean, I, I don't know, though. I also think back to like the aughts and the media climate that we grew up in of women's magazines pushing this singular version of bodies and just like thinness. And that that was kind of peak fetishizing, really thin bodies with abs and stuff. And I do think that there's more diversity online, at least of like just human bodies on the internet, which is a really good thing. But it's hard, you know, there's so much sort of like pro eating disorder type of content, especially on TikTok. It's really easy to go down these rabbit holes and find these, this kind of harmful stuff. So I think it's kind of a mixed bag and we really need, like parents need to teach children how to like emotionally separate themselves from the internet. I think that's like the most powerful skill you can have these days.
0: And I have a hard time doing it because like you and not to the extent at all that you've experienced, but I did have a great deal of trolling and it's impacted my self-esteem and my ability to even show up consistently online. So what do you think about just people that are creatives and have something to say, but are getting pummeled by hate from the other side, especially with the kind of content that I put out?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's so hard. It's so hard for anyone. I feel like that's creative to like make something and put it in the world. And then especially if you're trying to like have a message with that. That's maybe progressive that people don't like. It's just, you're going to get 10 times more hate, but I will say it's, it's just, it's good to just try to just emotionally like separate it and realize that they just hate like the video or the character. And also a lot of people hate on things because they see a couple comments hating and they just pile Mm -hmm. on. It's crazy how like the comments set the tone for the video because I think a lot of people watch a video, not totally know what they think of it or whatever. And then they go to the comments and if they're mean, which they often are, it reframes the video for them. And wow. just, it's something I talk to a lot of content creators and it's something they've talked about a lot. It's like moderating the contents early on their videos on TikTok to like set the right tone. Because sometimes people will be nice in the comments or be like, yes, we love it. And then that almost makes you feel like weird for being a hater. So mm-hmm. It's so hard, but you just have to keep creating and, you know, people love to hate. But again, what are those people doing with their lives? Like every time I click on these people's profiles, it's just some random person with like five followers, you know, or it's like some troll. So I think it's good to like keep that in context as well. Like this person, what is that saying? Like if you wouldn't take advice from someone, don't take criticism from them. I think about that a lot.
0: That's so good. And I just find even, and I don't know if it's just my experience, but obviously seeing, that looks like a very good jug of water, by the way.
1: Yes, it's this like heroin soup (gasps) jar that I put water into. I need
0: that. I have like tiny little glasses that are (laughs) not hydrating me enough. Even with what's going on with Lizzo and like other women, people are so much quicker to criticize and maybe not even have their own opinion.
1: This is the problem with being a woman on the internet and, and just a woman in general, like misogyny. And my book, my book talks so much about misogyny on the internet and women's stories on the internet, and tells the story of a lot of, you know, sort of women th- that really shaped internet history and sort of the levels of misogyny they had to deal with. And mm-hmm. I think this is just something people do. Like you can you have to be perfect. You have to be flawless obviously what Lizzo was doing to her dancers is not okay. But I do think that like, we make so much room for male misbehavior and toxicity and women are not given leeway. That doesn't mean that we should say, yes, let women be toxic. But I think we need to be aware too, you know, just the standards that we hold people to and the double standard that women have to abide by.
0: It brings me to the question of influence just in general and how, like, what does it mean to be an influencer in 2023?
1: It's such a hard question to ask. I feel like it's kind of a self-defined thing, but it means that you have like some sort of sway online. That's Mm -hmm. what I say. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're like monetizing, but maybe you're monetizing, but it's more just like having sway on the internet, whether it's like a micro on a micro level or to millions of people.
0: I feel like also there's a pressure on women in general to have a presence.
1: Well, I think it's hard for women because, you know, you have to market yourself. You have to hustle. A lot of women are shut out of specific sort of types of jobs, especially when they have kids. And, and I talk about this, again, in my book too, of like the sort of how this whole creator economy or whatever people want to call it got started was a lot of women that were shut out of the traditional labor market. And so they turned to the internet to make money and build brands and monetize those personal brands and um, how that kind of birth influencer industry. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's just very hard because you're also not respected for your ideas as a woman online. You're judged by what you look like. And I think it's hard as the whole internet. I mean, speaking of just the downfall of Twitter, like has pivoted towards video. We don't have a lot of text-based social platforms anymore. And so the pressure is even higher on women to like present a certain way, to look a certain way. Like you have to do your makeup before you go on TikTok, or people are horrible to you. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's, it's the internet's getting more and more visual. And I think that these standards around how women look and how women talk and how women behave are just getting even more intense.
0: And even the filters on TikTok, yeah. and like on Instagram, and I know we talk about filters all the time, but they're like, so subtle, that you almost don't even know they exist. And that scares me too, because then it puts this pressure on people to just think that's what you should look like every single day.
1: I know. I love how we like had all these conversations about Photoshop and magazines in the 2000s. And like in the early 2010s, I think it was like women's health or, you know, we finally had these magazines pledging, like we will not use Photoshop on our images. We're going to have real women. And now like everybody is just using FaceTune 24 seven on their own photos and like using these in TikTok and Instagram filters and I mean, I use them myself when I look horrible or when I feel bad about myself. So there's definitely no going back. And I think that especially with the rise of like AI and other stuff, that there's only going to be more sort of image altering technologies like that.
0: I mean, that was the next obviously big question, just AI in general and how it's going to impact creators and how we can evolve and create careers when
1: is it going to take over? Yeah, I mean, I I don't I think it's, it's in like a hype cycle right now. So it's I think people are like, being a little, I I think they're hyping it a little too much. I don't think it's going to end up living up to everyone's expectations. But certainly it's transforming. I mean, I think AI is transformative and smarter and better it can get the more impact it's going to have. But I don't think we're going to have full like AI influencers yet.
0: It almost felt like I was scrolling TikTok last night and I had taken a bit of a break. And obviously I went on last night for like two hours because that's <laughs> really healthy. It was literally like an episode of Black Mirror meets QVC. Yeah. What the fuck is happening?
1: It's becoming such... Oh, I think I was be- like effusive. I was like, oh, oh my God, no. Um <laughs> It's you know, so TikTok is doing a big e commerce pivot and they're really building out a lot of e commerce stuff and their shopping streams have become really popular. Um, and so, yeah, it's like watching 24 uh, yeah, 7 QBC, but there's so many, there's so many like shopping channels now. And I actually just saw a video yesterday online of like this warehouse where there were all these little booths and this person was walking by filming all of them. And in each little booth, there was a person as if they're in like their own bedroom or something like selling. Oh um, god. different products it was somewhere in like Indonesia but yeah it's definitely I mean look they're trying to monetize and so they're going to try and sell us things <laughs> and do you think that's going to change the way people create
0: content because literally I don't know if it was what I was being served every single one gave me the air stick yes oh my god I literally bought it because I'm I was buying getting it. so many ads for it <laughs> no, I'm literally buying it it's working <laughs> But yeah. But then again, feeding in, it, it's so interesting what they're feeding you, right? It's like, it's creator content, like versus like, what if I was just a person who I don't know, maybe they know my behavior as a consumer, but they're like, here, go create this content. So you could also be selling.
1: Yeah, no. And they have all these weird things now where like, you can join the affiliate, you know, program, like you can earn cash, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, you know, capitalism gone crazy. and. Yeah, we can all sort of like sell things to each other now for affiliate revenue.
0: I keep saying the word dangerous as it relates to the internet, which is not always true, because I think it presents incredible value and connection and power and all these things making people feel more seen. What is the harm in almost everyone wanting to be famous? Will all these people become famous? If you know what I mean? Like, yes, they might have a million followers on TikTok. What does that mean in the world as it relates to celebrity as we know it? We didn't grow up with this kind of celebrity. We grew up with like Oprah and Tom Cruise. So this is like a whole different universe.
1: Yeah. The nature of fame. This is actually, I'm sorry to keep bringing up my book, but this is basically what my book is about is like this like shift in the notion of fame and how the internet has transformed the sort of entertainment and media ecosystem. But I think fame is more, it's less of this delineation of like non-famous and famous. And now fame is just sort of this nebulous, like currency or force almost that like some people have for a while. Sometimes you have a little bit, sometimes you have a lot, but it's like everyone has micro fame almost at this Mm. point, um, at least to small groups of people. But I think it's bad. I mean, I think in America, because we're such like a fame obsessed country in a way that, you know, no, almost no other country is. People chase fame because they don't feel like they have economic opportunities and they know that fame can come with money and they associate fame with money. Of course, the depressing thing is that like actually now it's much less correlated with money because it's, you know, we have so many people that have fame that like it's actually quite hard to monetize even if you are famous on the Internet. But I think people just feel like they don't have a traditional path to follow for success. And so they feel like if I can just get fame and attention online, attention online, that's a currency in itself. And I can use that online attention to get a job or to network or to have some sort of stability. If I get in the hospital, I know I can have a successful GoFundMe if I have a million wow. followers. I think that's kind of the underlying thing. It's It's because of sort of the collapse of our infrastructure and our social safety net that this whole creator economy is like booming.
0: And it's also like, as quickly as people are built up, do they get torn down? Like I even, as you see videos, like obviously I'm personally obsessed with Planet of the Base. Yeah. (laughs) And I think he's brilliant. Kyle Gordon, right? Yeah. But it's this obsession with like the original woman in the video. And then people were like bullying the other girls that were in the videos because they like almost create these, like godlike perceptions of people. Is that bad?
1: I think people like drama and people like, you know, for mm. entertainment, it's like you want to see that rise and fall. You want to build people up and then tear them down. I I think it's just, it's playing into kind of the worst parts of human nature. Mm. And also a lot of people, they don't see people on the internet or they don't see people with sort of any kind of fame as as human beings. They see them as characters in this sort of online entertainment ecosystem. And so they don't consider the effects of what they're doing and how they're speaking to people.
0: Yeah. It's just like you get an explosive burst into the world when you go viral. It's not just like it used to be maybe a slight trickle of notoriety. It's out of nowhere. Hundreds of millions of people might see your video. And I feel like, what does that do to you? How does that not like rock your world?
1: It's very disturbing, I think, too, because you can very quickly lose your, your sense of self. If you don't have a strong sense of self and you do start to get a following on the internet or you go viral, then other people start to sort of define who you are and decide who you are. And if you don't have a strong sense of self, you you will believe them. You know, you mm-hmm. will think, okay, this is who I am, you know, or, or maybe is this who I should be? Yeah. And that always ends badly because then you're just sort of living for the internet.
0: Exactly. I wonder, like, I see these influencers out in the world and documenting their every move. They're not even speaking to the people they're at dinner with. They're just do- literally video, videoing
1: everything. Like That can't be good for connection. No, it's not. I think it's like, I'm not like anti-influencer getting content or whatever, but I think it's about your emotional relationship to it. If you're getting content 24 seven, but you have a healthy relationship and you're fine with it. And you're kind of like, your friends are cool with it at dinner or whatever. Like, I, I think it's fine. But I think it's like, if you let the internet kind of tell you who you are and you rely too much on like that feedback, cause it's hard. Once you start getting positive feedback, it's like, it makes you want to do more of whatever is getting you that feedback, which can often be exposing more personal information, you know, being more dramatic or crazy online. It's just, it's a negative thing. You have to have those boundaries.
0: So we started with the mommy blogger. That was kind of like the first iteration of influencer as we know it. What is current and what do you kind of forecast to be the next influencer or creator archetype?
1: Well, I think now we just have these like multi-platform kind of behemoth content creators, you know, that sort of just dominate every single app that they're on. I mean, obviously Mr. Beast is like a huge YouTuber and makes content for children. But like, there's just a lot of people now that understand that like, in order to sustainably monetize, you can't be reliant on one platform. So you just have people all over monetizing in through e-commerce or through Patreon or through Substack, through like direct subscriptions, whatever. Um, But there's not like that one theme. I mean, now there used to be just these sort of buckets of creators on different apps and sort of, they were all really similar and you could group them together. Now everybody's a content creator basically. And just depends like the level at which you're doing it. Some people are more professional at it than others. And some people are monetizing more than others, but it's the last number I saw was like 50 million content, professional content creators.
0: Oh my God. And what does that do to TV? Like, I feel like instead of watching TV, people are just on TikTok or on YouTube. A hundred percent,
1: yes. Um, I mean, I think the entertainment industry has been so warped by the internet. Um, it's, I mean, I don't think that like TV as in Netflix or streaming is going away, but certainly linear TV is completely irrelevant. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a dead business and it's gonna be out of business soon within a matter of years, so I think it's, yeah, I think people have desire for like narrative fiction, which TV excels at and, you know, there's still good reality shows and stuff on TV too. So I don't think it's like Netflix is going away at any time soon, but Netflix certainly competes with TikTok and TikTok considers Netflix a primary competitor.
0: What do you want people to know about the internet? You wrote a book all about it. What's If there's a takeaway, What what do you want people to walk away feeling after mm-hmm. they read your book?
1: I want people to push back on Silicon Valley more and stop just accepting that, you know, the same 10 men are going to be in charge of the tech landscape forever. And I want people to build more indie social platforms and push back on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter or whatever, like it's called now and just expect better. I, I think we were so used to sort of just like taking whatever Silicon Valley hands out to us. And I think that actually collectively as users, we have a lot more power to sway these platforms than you might think especially if you have a big audience on these platforms, yes, you're at their mercy in a lot of ways, but we should speak out about sort of like the abuses of the tech industry and the way that these products manipulate us and the data privacy issues around them. And just so many things, you know, we could ask for a better system and we could build a better system, but a lot of us sort of don't. And we just use whatever, you know, is given to us. So.
0: Can you exist without an internet presence in 2023?
1: It's very hard. And no, I mean, you won't exist. You can choose not to personally put information about yourself online, but everyone has, I write about this actually, like everyone has an internet presence and you exist in that reality because of the level of the lack of data privacy in this country. So there's so much information about you on the internet there's probably photos about of you on the internet, whether or not you want to participate in this system, you have an online reputation, you have an online persona or information about you is on the internet and can be used to shape a narrative about your life. So it's just a matter of whether you want (laughs) to recognize that or not. I know it's terrifying. Again, we need better data privacy in America.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's the, that's the big takeaway here. And as the title of the podcast goes, what are you sorry for apologizing for?
1: I almost always regret apologizing on the internet. So I'm sorry for every time I apologize on the internet. (laughs) Honestly, I probably regret it. I think you can't apologize on the internet ever. Really? I actually, I think there's no way to do a good apology. And I think it's sort of a losing game, which sucks, by the way, because people should be able to apologize online. But I think... I don't think the internet gives a lot of room for nuance, but I don't know. I guess I'm sorry for apologizing. Yeah, if I've ever, although I'm not sorry if I've ever apologized for doing something bad, but I don't think I have. What else am I sorry for apologizing for? I don't know. Taking up space as a woman, I guess.
0: <laughs> Love it.
1: Where can people find you and where can they buy your book? Yes, my book is available right now. Um, you can For a pre-order, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, really anywhere, your local bookshop order it at your local library and I'll probably give it to you. And I'm at Taylor Lorenz everywhere.
0: You're amazing. Thank you so, so much.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Sorry for Apologizing brought to you by Rescripted. If you enjoyed this week's episode, be sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our amazing guests to stay in the know, follow me at Missy Modell on Instagram and TikTok, or head to rescripted.com. And don't forget to like, and subscribe.